0: What is up, everyone? Welcome to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick De La Torre, and today I am joined by a dear friend of mine, an incredible mind and a beautiful soul, Mr. Andrew Reinhardt, who is also the host of the show, Physically Spiritual, produced here at Awakened Catholic. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Nick.
0: We're going to be talking about you. We're going to be talking about our friendship. We're going to be talking about the show, Physically Spiritual, why it matters and why specifically specifically Specifically, it should matter to you. All of that is coming up right after this Welcome back to the Awaken Catholic show everyone This is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show unless she's a really really cool grandmother So today I have with me the beautiful man, Andrew Reinhardt. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. How are
0: you feeling today? We just got done live streaming for your show where you interviewed me, and now we've flipped roles. I'm interviewing you, and this time I'm going to make you cry. How are you feeling about that? I feel scared. (laughs) really scared. I think you're right to be scared. I can
1: use a good cry, though.
0: Yeah, couldn't we all sometimes, right? Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, we're live streaming this. We haven't live streamed for a while. The live stream we did for Andrew's show a little bit ago is the first live stream we had ever done from our new studio. The previous one was in my basement. Uh, and so it's kind of a nice trial run. Everything went pretty smoothly. We had good connections. Uh, but today, um, this is part of a series of episodes that we're doing uh, about the different shows that are produced here at Awakened Catholic. So the last episode that came out was about the show Elevate Ordinary with hosts John Mark and Teresa Grodi. And today I am overjoyed to be with Andrew, the host of Physically Spiritual. So Andrew, we first met, we covered some of this ground in the last episode, we first met uh, on the campus of Bowling Green State University. Um, you were the campus minister, the new campus minister at St. Thomas More University Parish, and I think the first time I met you was during some sand volleyball. Do you remember that?
1: No. Yeah. Not at all.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what happened in the last episode. John Mark was like, yeah, I don't remember you. <laughs> um, it's an interesting dynamic because I was this guy that was coming into the faith, the church, for the first time in, in like a radical and passionate way. And you were just a campus minister trying to love on these young people, and I was one of many. But like in, my, in that part of my journey, you were like the campus minister, you know? Ooh. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's no surprise that you don't remember me, <laughs>
1: um, but. What I do remember is I met Alina before you. Okay. And I was thoroughly prepared to meet a monster because <laughs> at the time you were not together and she frequently would um play sad songs on the piano and her and her friends spoke very lowly of you at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that everything that was said was probably true. <laughs> Cuz like honestly, man, I was a mess. I was a mess and that's why the relationships that I was building and friendships I was finding in that part of my journey have been so pivotal for me. And that's why you were so pivotal for me is like I had to leave a lot of things behind between vices and even, even some friendships I had to like really slow down because there was, I had to really die to myself. I had to die to everything that was going on and allow a new person, a new creation to come forth that was, um, you know, hopefully what the person that God wanted me to start becoming. Um, And so people like yourself who, you know, in your case, it's different than some of the other cases, like, you know, Rob Holler and the Grodys, even, because they were like friends first for me. You initially were like playing this mentor role. You were Mm -hmm. mentoring me in a super intentional way. We would meet every morning uh, or not every morning. We would meet, I think once a week for coffee at Kermit's, um, a great grease spoon here in, in Bowling Green, Ohio, we would have coffee and breakfast and we were you were reading through a couple of books with me. The first book might have been on platonics. It might have been uh, like an introduction to uh, Plato or something like that. And then the second book, I think, was Theology for Beginners by Frank Sheed. Um, and I still have that book. I still love that book. I still recommend that book because it really was so formative for me and especially working through it with you but not enough of us are are willing to take the time that you took with me you know like going out of your way to to set aside time to meet with me once a week and and set set aside time to read through these books again for me with me um thank you for all of that i mean it was huge
1: yeah welcome welcome
0: that's how it works you know
1: like like this is nice like doing a podcast is good and if people encounter us through the podcast they you know, this has a wide reach. It can have a big effect. But, like, the gospel happens in personal relationships, one-on-one or in small groups. Yes. Like, that's how Jesus did it. Like, he got 12 guys together and they lived together. Like, that was intentional. And then throughout the gospel, you see him continually again and again, actually, like, trying to make the crowd smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that is because, like, this whole thing happens in small communities. Yeah. Um, Amen. You know, like, so so like, thinking of that from like, at the time I was in campus ministry and I was in parish ministry after that for a decade and now I'm working in diocesan ministry. That's kind of my paying job. Um, you know, like the temptation is to like evaluate what you're doing based on like how many people you get to show up, mm-hmm. like how big of a crowd can be there or how much the word gets out or or all of that. But that's not what Jesus did. No, Like he he really literally worked to make the crowd smaller oftentimes because mm-hmm. uh, there was something about his work that could only be spread on a heart-to-heart level. So, so that's been an important thing for me um, from the beginning because that's how I was. I was discipled when I was in college uh, in the context of St. Paul's outreach in small groups and one-on-one. Uh, there were a handful of priests in my life who reached out to me and spent the time to, to form me and to train me. Uh, and to give me insight and relationship, and to help me grow, um, you know. So I, that when I got into to working in ministry, that's that's what I knew was the important part.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it because it's the harder work, and it really demands of the person who is doing the ministering and the discipling. It really demands of that person more work and more intentionality more sacrifice. Hmm. Um, Lord knows that it, if it had not been for your willingness to make that sacrifice for me and other people, like Father Mike Danderand, um, who also made similar sacrifices, I mentioned on the last episode that he took me and one other guy, Damien Santiago, on a discernment retreat at Saint Mindred Seminary, where we stayed with the monks, we prayed with the monks, and he set aside that time for Damien and I. We were just two weird college kids, you know. We were a bunch of punks and he was willing to set aside that amount of time for us. Um, and it was powerful. And it, like that retreat alone has impacted my prayer life, my spirituality in a, in a resounding way throughout my life. And so um, so that intentional sa- willingness to sacrifice for even just one person, that, that's something that we need to see more of, even in ourselves, you know, like we should never grow weary of approaching things that way it gets harder when you're a married man with kids, you know, like you have to put that ministry first. And if you're having to choose in terms of the times, the ways in which you you spend your time and sacrifice with your time, you have to choose between some other person or your wife and kid. You need to make the right choice there. And that's your wife and kid. But like any degree to which there is space that you can make that work. Like we we should all be doing that um, in different ways. You know, some of us, like you had a much more profound theological backbone than the average lay person. Um, and so we, we need to stay in our lane in a sense. And like, if ministering to someone means loving them well, do that, but also don't like pretend you're a theologian that you're not, and then end up conveying heresy and stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, so thank you for, for all of that. And, and that really laid the groundwork for a relationship that has lasted, uh, a brotherhood that has lasted for years. Uh, and it isn't just you and I, there's, there's a community of us that like have kind of God, like geographically we spread for a while and, and God has brought us kind of all back together into the same geography. Mm -hmm. And even when we were spread apart geographically, we were still close, you know, intimately, emotionally, you know, um, I've always had you as a brother, you know, even when we didn't see each other a lot for a while. So it's amazing when we are willing to make the sacrifices when we spend uh as matthew kelly calls it carefree timelessness with someone uh where you're not trying to get something out of it you're just like with someone that is what forms intimacy that is what forms relationships and and Mm -hmm. it it took sacrifice and i really appreciate it
1: yeah well (laughs) if the sacrifice is eating breakfast and reading good books then i'll do it again
0: (laughs) (laughs) so when we were um and by the way if you want to learn about how physically spiritual as a show got started go to the live stream that we just did the recording of it um for the physically spiritual show because we go into great lengths about all of it but just as like a small recap as we were building up this awakened catholic ministry um, you were one of the first people that i reached out to because i was number one i wanted People like truly authentic people. I, w- I was thinking about saying truly good people, but like we're only as good as we are on any given day, right? But but um, you authentically—I've always known you to be someone that's authentically pursuing the the best version of yourself and to more and more conform yourself in mind and heart to what God wants for you. And I wanted people involved in the project that were authentically representing that approach to living, but then secondarily had acute areas of focus in terms of your own passion that could be uh, made into content that could be delivered to people and bless people with it. Mm. So I knew of you. The incredible journey that you had been on of discovery, of learning, of, of transformation of, of spirit and body, and I knew, like, with the acuity of the, of the type of research that you had been doing, and the very unique ways in which you were combining that research with practical implementation and and a holistic understanding of the person, I knew that that was messaging that would bless so many people, and. I know that it has. And so that's why I had approached you. I knew the things that you were studying. I knew the things that you were putting together. And I was like, this, this needs to get out in front of people. This can't just be in, in Andrew's little den with a journal, you know, like, um, what was your reaction when I first approached you about it?
1: Um, my first reaction, um, at first I was not attracted to the idea. I loved podcasts. I'd, I'd I would listened to podcasts for years. Um, I felt like maybe I'd missed the wave, you mm-hmm. know, like a lot of times when a new thing takes on, it, there's kind of like a growth curve. And then, um, so I felt like, ah, oh, maybe it's not the right time to start a podcast. It's, there's a lot of people doing it. I also, um, I didn't, I didn't want to, I, sometimes I, I'm a little harsh on this, but I didn't want to like make more noise online. You know, I didn't want to just be another person talking just to talk. Um, so I, I wasn't drawn to it at first, but I, and my, my real work at the time was to try to write a book about um, about everything that I was researching and learning about. And, but as I prayed about it and considered it, two things struck me. One, it, you know, there's a lot of books that get published and nobody ever reads them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, so one approach to publishing today is to actually build the audience before you write the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of like the, the Tim Ferriss approach to some extent. Uh, he kind of puts all the content out on his podcast before he publishes it in the book. And, um, and then the other thing to consider was just that, um, you know, the, the direction of the way that people are consuming content, you know, that, that this, is, this is a new platform that's growing. And it, it, being listenable, it, people can just consume more of it, right? Because you can throw it in your ears while you're mowing the lawn or while you're doing the dishes, while you're driving to work. Um, if you're going to read somebody's book, you got to sit down and read the book, mm-hmm. you know, And unless they make an audiobook out of it too. But then, uh, so I just, I just felt like it would be, uh, maybe a way to get the word out. Um, I also sensed a, a kind of, a uh, a bit of a pride in myself, a vanity, you know, like I'd rather be an author than a podcaster. It just mm. sounds better, you know, mm. like it's a much more respectable thing to do for the, uh, the old school out there. Um, So part of me, uh, I think was like holding on to this idea of who I, who I wanted to be. So a part of it too, was also, um, accepting that this could be God's plan. So, so as I was praying and thinking about it, I was like, okay, Lord, like, maybe this is what, maybe this is what you want me to do. Um, and, and, and so that's why I I came around to the idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you had been formulating for a while a lot of your own processing of, of and digesting of the information you were learning and, and the ways in which you were implementing it. Um, so what was it like to take this stuff that was so near and dear and private, because it was your journey that was on paper, how, what was it like to take all of that and turn it into something that was for everyone?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's well, a couple things. One... I like to have things really good and tight and clean before sharing it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, I, want it, I want it to be like the final version before it gets out there. Um, but sharing content this way, this is a very like iterative process. You know, it's like you, you put something out there, you get some feedback. And, and a lot of what, what we do in publishing is you end up putting it back out as a better version. There's, there's almost some more um, a circular kind of approach to what I'm doing now where I'm revisiting topics, but then taking them deeper and trying to be clearer. Um, so that was was part of the, the mind shift of like, at first I was really uncomfortable with the quality. Just like I wanted everything, I wanted it both to be like really appealing if a random person off the street were to tune up the show and listen to it and that they'd be interested and learn something and understand it. But if like one of the greatest theologians in the world turned on the show, I wanted to also make sure that it was like, that it was good and that they would see like the the depth and the quality and the richness and, and not sit there and, you know, point out all the heresies and mistakes that I was making. Right. Um, so I had this probably unrealistic (laughs) expectation Mm -hmm. for, for the quality. So, so that was part of it was like, um, uh, coming to embrace the iterative nature of it. You know, that like, this is online, this is forever, Mm -hmm. you know, like Nick, if your cause for canonization ever gets opened up, (laughs) Like there's going to be some old dude in Rome someday that's going to be watching this.
0: I guarantee you that'll never happen. And
1: scouring it for heresies <laughs> and other things. It's like it's like this is this is going to make the Vatican's job pretty hard in the future. Maybe they'll outsource some of the canonization process to AI or something at some point. But um,
0: but anyways, Jack like yeah, yeah, should yeah. this person be a saint? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. So
1: the, so there was definitely a, sh- a shift in mindset, but also I think part of it. Um, playing into some of my personal woundedness of perfectionism, vanity, um, and a need to I think be more broken, accept mm. that and to, to show that. Um, to to have more humanity in the content. Um, so something I tried to do right from the beginning was to encourage people that were listening to give me feedback. Like, you know, if you don't agree, like let me know. Yeah. Uh I remember some some early YouTube comments from uh, from people who weren't Christian and just oh man, uh, you know it's like on one hand there was the I really wanted the feedback I wanted to be able to sort of iron things out, but then realizing that like people online probably aren't really actually looking for dialogue. <laughs> there isn't really a pursuit of the truth happening on some of these platforms. It's more of a uh, how do we just like troll and enroll, or how do we? Uh, mm-hmm. are are it's almost like putting out our propaganda. So there was also, I think, a, a disappointment I had early on, <laughs> that the, that the quality of engagement uh, just wasn't wasn't what I had hoped, what I had hoped for. Um, so, th- so there was a, a regulating of my expectations that happened, and accepting of the reality of myself, and 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 really hoping then that, okay, Lord, how are you going to use this? Hmm. So, so I think there was a shift from, like, from like I want to publish something that's going to be important to, Lord, I give you this, and I ask you to do what you want with it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And some of what you talked about there about wanting it to be perfect in terms of the things you've said and stuff, hmm. th- that's a really interesting dynamic to wrestle with because, on the one hand, we are called, as as people who in any formal capacity present the gospel, present the truth or present any information with a Catholic label, there is a a responsibility that we carry Mm. that we have to be good stewards of that role and ensure that we aren't knowingly uh, spreading false information, whether it's like explicitly heresy or just something that isn't quite right, you know? Um, So that is, a very real responsibility that any of us in this type of capacity maintain. Um, and frankly, there have been some things, not in any of the shows that are currently running on Awakened Catholic, but in, in some previous productions. There was one episode in particular that when I screened it before it went up, uh, and I don't screen all episodes at the time, I was, you know, I happened to be a part of that, but whatever. Um, I, 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 there were some things said by the guest in that show that i just knew i had to say we can't publish this because Mm -hmm. it would be irresponsible and, and uh not the right thing to do so we do have that responsibility and really anyone has a responsibility to form themselves well enough that they aren't explicitly believing or conveying heresy about certain things um whatever it is Uh, Whether that's Catholic social teaching, whether that's, you know, uh, moral, sexual ethics, like whatever it is, like we have a responsibility to live our lives in conformity to what God wants for us because it's ultimately what's best for us. Mm -hmm. And, And that's how we can convey that better. And then on the other hand, there's the scrupulosity and there's the pride where it's so easy to fall into the analysis paralysis that nothing ever happens and i think that's kind of what you're expressing you were torn between those two ideas is that fair
1: yeah and that's where i was with my writing process i had i literally have three manuscripts sitting on my computer and each one was just it was analysis paralysis it was i wanted it to be relatable but i also wanted it to be academic uh and so the the the, the you know there's a lot of words there mm-hmm. but none of it that i could probably ever use in any productive way
0: yeah yeah totally um all right so i think what this calls for Andrew is the Kerygma speed round. Are you ready? No. All right. Perfect. (laughs) Who is Jesus to you?
1: Jesus is my only hope. Um, you know, I've, I've scoured the world of knowledge for answers, uh, scientific research, uh, you know, understandings of meditation, nutrition, science, um, And the deeper I go, the more I realize that all this stuff, while it's good, there's no hope for the human heart apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Oof. You know, so, um, you know, I think so much of of what's out there is people, they're scrambling for answers apart from Jesus, right? Whether it be, you know, the fad of the month, just, you know, follow one of the popular podcasts, whether it's the, uh, you know, psychedelics or it's uh, the, the legalization of, of various drugs or Mm -hmm. it's some new, um, new social movement or some new technology. Um, and, and, and there's all these different ways that we're looking for the, the basic fundamental answers to the human condition. And I want to say that, that everything that's true, good, and beautiful is included in what Christ has to offer, but without Christ, everything that's true, good and beautiful falls short.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, just as a a crude metaphor, uh, it'd be like, if I gave you a gift, let's, for the metaphor, we'll say it's a PlayStation 5. Mm -hmm. Okay, I gift you a PlayStation 5. There's two approaches to that. One, I have the PlayStation 5 in my hands, and I'm ready to give it to you you like yank it out of my hands and you disregard the fact that it's coming from me mm. and you just play the playstation and indulge in it and whatever. In contrast, I'm going to hand you this PlayStation 5. It's in my hands and you see that I am giving this to you and the very fact that it is being given to you from me that I cared enough to give it to you that i spent whatever money was required to give it to you whatever it took and i did it with a heart and a passion for you a desire to bless you with it and you look into my eyes as i'm handing this to you and you see all of that suddenly that gift that playstation 5 has so much more worth Hmm. has so much more dignity sure it can be fun whether you yank it out of my hands and ignore me or really see what I'm doing and giving that to you. It can be fun both ways, but the latter is far more interesting, is far more beautiful um, and represents, the, the gift then represents something about our relationship too. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's kind of just a crude example of like how to see the difference between the good, true and beautiful things with and without Christ at the center of it.
1: Yep. And the person that receives the gift without reference to the giver is an infant like that's how babies receive gifts. Wow! yeah. Is you give it to them and they take it and play with it, right? Right. So this is this is where um, there is a certain kind of a like a like a, a selfish smallness in receiving the gifts of creation without reference to the creator.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, I see that, and that's and that is essentially that harkens back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Uh, you know where. Uh, The whole principle was like, you can be your own source of blessing, your own gift. Like, you don't need an external God to be over you or whatever. And and we've just fundamentally wrestled with the same thing for all of existence. That's right. Yeah. Okay, that was a great first question of the Kerygma speed round, Andrew. (laughs) The second question, what's an elevator pitch for a life with Jesus?
1: An elevator pitch with a life
0: for Jesus. No, for a life with Jesus. For a life with Jesus. Got it.
1: The better question is what's an elevator pitch?
0: You can choose the height of the building and the speed of the motor of the elevator, but it's basically you're with someone in an elevator, you have to, whatever time it takes to, for the elevator ride.
1: Okay, so my motto is start slow and taper off. Um, so the 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 elevator pitch for the life with Jesus is, is this. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. This means that, that everything that was present, everything of God that created the universe is in the person of Jesus Christ. So all of the hopes of the human heart are contained in that person. Mm. And a, and a, a life without Jesus is ultimately a life that 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 isn't completely fulfilled. You know, we we have a lot of people in the world today that want to sort of like maximize their experience, and they take that to be like, "Well, I need to go to like every country ever, and you know, have all these go to these concerts and sort of collect experiences." Um, but all of that falls short of of encountering. Him who made it all, mm. right, has given us life, and not only that, but now has redeemed us. So, so part of the, the problem is that we don't understand how much we need Jesus because we don't recognize how bad it is without him. Yes. And in this kind of post-Christian world we live in, it's still kind of obscure to us, right? Because in a lot of ways, our society is sort of crumbling around us but it's still good enough mm-hmm. that we can live with the mistaken notion that all the all this goodness that's around us isn't as a result of Christianity, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Give it a, a, another 100 years or two as totalitarianism rises around the world and people are gonna realize maybe we shouldn't have ditched the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but all of the hopes of the human heart are contained in the person of Jesus Christ.
0: Wow, that's so, so beautiful. Okay, final question. Elevator pitch for life specifically as a Catholic.
1: The Kerygma slow round. (laughs) Specifically life as a Catholic. Look, when Jesus came, he came and he built a community. He came and he built a community. He formed a group of people that he lived the life with. And one of the greatest mistakes in our contemporary mindset is what a fancy philosophical term is solipsism.
0: Solipsism,
1: solipsism, and solipsism is is ultimately like an isolation of of your individual ego, your 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 personality, that mm-hmm. you're not really in touch with the world around you, and so in so many ways we are encouraged to be isolated. Mm-hmm. You can think of the the image of um, of like the marble man or this like this solitary figure who who provides for all of their own needs. And in our culture, we've replaced, across the board, relationships with systems.
0: Mm, yes.
1: Right? So, so if I need food, I don't let my friends feed me, right? The government has a system for that. If I get old and can't take care of myself, my loved ones don't care for me. We have a system for that. We put them in a, in a home. If, if, I, if, if a, 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 a tree falls over and falls into my house, I don't need my friends I've got, a, I've got insurance. I've got a system for that. Mm-hmm. So across the board, right, we've, we've replaced relationships with systems. So now we can we can live in the illusion of the fulfillment of this kind of solipsistic view. Like, I don't really need anyone else. Mm-hmm. I can account for all of my needs as a person, food, shelter, et cetera, et cetera, even get the illusion of my social needs being cared for by social media, right, without actually encountering anyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and this, is, this is a foretaste of hell.
0: Wow. Big words. Bold words.
1: Is that isolation in which I don't need anyone else. Right From the beginning, God proclaimed, it's not good for man to be alone. Mm. And in a crossword, we're, we are designed and we flourish when we are radically dependent on other people. And that dependency is not just the icing on the cake. It is the cake. Because right, we're we're in the image of God as a communion of persons, right? So so, foundationally, the gospel is designed to be received in a community of believers. So so to, to follow Christ outside of the church, is to to sort of like receive it in a way that's incompatible with our human nature.
0: <laughs> wow, that is super profound. That's wild. Yeah, I'm gonna have to ponder that for a while, but so profound, almost as profound as this segue to our sponsor. The Awakened Catholic Show today is sponsored by CatholicMerch.store. If you wanna look as holy on the outside as you are on the inside, even if you're faking it, check out CatholicMerch.store today for completely original and also awesome Catholic merch. This sweater is the Uber Catholic sweater. You can get yourself one Today And it supports our ministry because thank you, Catholic Merch, for 100% of your proceeds going to Awaken Catholic. Ignore the fact that it is Awaken Catholic.
1: You can also get the, uh, the physically spiritual <laughs> black old shirt uh, <laughs> featured in every episode of the show, whether it be the T-shirt, the long sleeve. Every once in a while, I'm still in my clothes from work and I come in with the black collared shirt on. Mm-hmm. So catholicmerchstore.com.
0: We, we don't have...
1: catholicmerch.store.org. No, stop.
0: <laughs> we do not have the official physically spiritual black garbs there. Unfortunately, we'll have to work on that. <laughs> um, okay. So that was a great charisma slow round. Uh, no, but truly like awesome, awesome uh, responses. And I really honestly want to go back and re-listen to them to just fully absorb all of it. Um, and... Uh, you know, obviously I uh, came out of the womb understanding what the word solipsism uh, means. But for the people in the back, could you just define that one more time?
1: Solipsism. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the root there is solo, one, alone. So if, if, we, if we think of um, modern philosophy, which a lot of people think kind of began with Descartes, which okay. posited, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And so, so he, he starts his philosophical system in this isolated place, right? He goes off to this cabin by himself and ponders and realizes, like, the foundation of his existence is the fact that he cannot deny the fact that he exists because he's thinking about he exists, right? There's kind of a a circular foundation. And and the rest of modern thought sort of struggles to break out of this isolation from that cabin moment to, like, establish what's sometimes referred to as... um, as uh uh empathy right the fact that that if i think therefore i am and you think therefore you are like how do we know we're really connected with each other and we have some like modern expressions of this of like maybe we're just living in a simulation
0: oh right like show
1: to me that you're not just like you know some ai computer code that i'm interacting with right yeah so these are just sort of the modern iterations of of these old philosophical questions um so this idea of solipsism is is that that we and ourselves are are at base an isolated unit that's that's separate from other people. So then we need to account for the fact that we're connected. Mm-hmm. And and the truth that the both the, the the view from nature but also the view from revelation is that that we're radically connected. Mm. And I need to account for the fact that I'm an individual. In the hmm. midst of that connectedness, right? And and, and um, let's let's think of it this way: like, can you account for the creation of any of your ideas apart from your relationships with other people?
0: No, no, absolutely right?
1: not. Right? Because as you're born, like you're born into a certain state of society, and and you're taught what. In the midst of a f- first year, like literally connected to another person when you're created, like you're like where does your mom stop and you start? Like you could, I guess. Pull out the cells and figure out where the different DNA starts, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this radical connectedness, and then you're born into a family mm-hmm. in which you're learning a language in a certain culture in a certain way of being, um, and and then like there's there's a real way that we're we're connected even beyond ways that we can understand, right? So my my nervous system is always reacting to your nervous system, like like we're creating in a sense an emotional environment. By our, our nervous systems interacting with each other. Right. And and even like my my microbiome, like the, the colony of little microorganisms that that are in all of my orifices and through my digestive tract, I have sort of like a like a microbiome orc cloud that surrounds me. So like my microorganisms are interacting with your microorganisms right now.
0: I'd really rather they didn't.
1: I know. <laughs> I know. So, so there's all these ways that that we are as people like radically, radically interconnected. Yeah, um, and 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 so this is this idea of solipsism is really it's a it's a philosophical fallacy that is present because you're starting with the wrong presupposition, right? So, so Descartes founding his philosophical system in isolation on his consciousness of his own consciousness. Christianity, on the other hand begins with the communion of persons who out of love creates another person to be in communion with <laughs> right so the, so the Christian foundation is this this life of the Trinity mm-hmm. the one that's also three mm-hmm. right the place where where relationship in a sense maybe the the most ephemeral category is the most concrete category
0: <laughs> right so it's almost like I'm hearing you communicate too that like, there's a spiritual reality that is also reflected in the bio- biological reality. Amen. And and it's almost like it's physically spiritual.
1: Yeah, everything God created <laughs> resonates with, See what with I did there, his Ethan? life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ethan's booing me, come on. <laughs>
1: yeah, God's creation, just, it resonates. There's a harmony between the life of the Trinity and God's design throughout the created order.
0: Yeah, it's incredible how... And that's one of the powerful things for me about Theology of the Body is like, it really helps you to reflect on things that we just otherwise don't consider or notice. Hmm. Um, Which is also to me, the beauty of your show, uh, which is like, everything is interconnected. Like nothing is is obscure or irrelevant to the grand scheme of of all of God's creation. Like it all plays into each other. There's this circle of life, you could say. (laughs) Is the circle. All right. Anyway, um, another boo from Ethan. <laughs> uh, no, but that's that's all, yeah, absolutely important and, and valuable. And so to me, that's one of the things that I want to get into about your show is that, that comprehensive approach to the physical and the spiritual. Because in our society, we're encouraged to see them as disparate topics. That we, we have a physical... Existence. If if you want to even be a religious person and not just a, a you know secularist, like you might still believe in the spirituality of, of things, but but see your physical existence as a shell mm-hmm. in which your spirit resides or something um, like a costume almost, and and then in, in contrast, you can be you know so spiritual that like the physical world is nothing. And like my body, when it dies, I'll go to heaven in spirit and like my body will wither and it'll just be that, you know, mm-hmm. versus the belief in the resurrection. And in fact, you'd be surprised how many Christians believe that worldview. Like I, I, got, I was in a conversation with someone and I did not anticipate the degree to which they would be offended by the notion of the resurrection of her actual body and she literally got red in the face angry at me for belie- for for communicating that and i didn't know there'd be a confrontation at all i didn't know that there would be a conflict of belief there at all but some people are so offended by the notion that this this ugly and dirty existence is going to be it is going to die but it is going to resurrect glorified which is the example we see in christ so anyways i appreciate about your show that that you're presenting for people an escape from this dualistic way of seeing things and individualistic way of seeing things. And I wanna get more into that, but, and about your show in general, uh, but in terms of, of people who, who understand things in this dualistic way, there was a survey done and, and these same people um, are, are the same jokesters that don't want us to continue the Catholic weird stuff segment and you know as far as i'm concerned i want to pursue the truth and i also want the catholic weird stuff segment and i think that the other people do want it we're going to give the people what they want andrew and so uh, ethan hit it catholic weird stuff
1: why well, do they do the things that they do let's learn some
0: catholic weird stuff it's a weird welcome back to the catholic weird stuff everyone today Andrew brought to the table the topic of by location. If you've never heard of bi-location, it's the idea that or it's the the what it is is to be physically in two places at the same time. Am I defining this correctly? I'll clean it up for you. Clean it up for me. I Andrew. thought
1: solipsism might qualify as the Catholic weird stuff, but we'll go with bi-location <laughs> too. Yeah, so there's been this phenomenon noted at various, especially saints throughout the history of the church, where it's essentially known that they're in one location, right? They're like in their bedroom in the convent or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then it's recorded that they are also then somewhere else at the same time. Mm-hmm. Most famously is probably Padre Pio, St. Right. Piero of Petrolcina, who uh, was known to do this. So at times he was known to appear beside airplanes during the Second World War, redirecting where the bombs were gonna fall. At times, he he appeared to people and and prayed with them on their deathbed, but they knew he was back in the friary in his cell. Mm-hmm. So what's what's curious about this kind of bilocation location is the person isn't actually two places at once. Ooh, okay. So we believe, in in a, in a sense that that where their you might say their physical body is, although you know whether or not where they're appearing, there's also a physical manifestation or not. Could be up for debate. So where their physical body is, their consciousness is no longer sort of present there. Mm-hmm. But then where they're appearing, they're conscious in that other place. So they're not. This it's not one person acting simultaneously in two different. Okay,
0: that places actually helps a lot because I've never understood that part. That makes more sense.
1: So their their body is physically somewhere, and then their person is acting somewhere else. And then whether or not that miraculous event is accompanied either with simply the illusion of their form or their form is actually um, actually sort of constructing a physical presence in that other place. I, I think that's maybe a little too much for the Catholic weird stuff segment, um, <laughs> but that's by location.
0: Okay, now explain to me why this is not Catholic astral projection.
1: Catholic astral projection? Yes. So the the... It's a, it's a work of grace, right? right? It's, a, it's a miracle. So, so this is, I think, what would contrast many Catholic phenomenon from many New Age phenomena is that, in general, the New Age movement mistakens the action of the divine for the action of the human. Yes. Right, so something like manifesting, for example, right? I, I just think about something hard enough and then it happens. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm the, that's the, that attribute is providence, Right. So I'm, I'm taking what's proper to the divine of providence and I'm assigning it to the action of the human. Mm. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that my consciousness also has this kind of providence-like influence on the world around me. Interesting. Right. So this kind of astral projection would be similar that I'm sort of by my will, by my human nature, able to, to sort of push my, my form out past my physical bounds. And, and that's not something we believe is possible. Right, so so this kind of bilocation, its a, a miraculous work of grace, meaning it, it it happens as a result of of God doing it, right? And, and you're being used by Him as an instrument mm-hmm. in that moment.
0: So if the end result is not dissimilar, but the 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 bigger divergence is how it's happening. Correct. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense and that's really helpful because I, again, what you shared about the difference of not physically being in two places and not operating separately in two places, that clears a lot of this question up for me. And then as soon as you explained that part of it, it sounded an awful lot like astral projection. And then to me, this gets into this issue of like, like what you were bringing up with the New Age movement um, and what we were talking about earlier with the Garden of Eden, like there is just this incessant thing where we we want to take what because anything is possible in god and 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 you know the like that's why we see the saints perform incredible miracles that's why christ did things that defied the laws of physics like literally anything is possible in god but it's like this obsession with taking upon ourselves the authority over nature taking upon ourselves godhood with a capital g versus the the good lowercase g godhood that christ refers to that we are all called to and that we kind of are um as saints and so that's very interesting yeah um
1: the other thing to consider is uh one of one of the other kind of errors of the new age movement is just the 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 presupposition that everything is neutral Mm. right so the world and, and all spiritual things are sort of neutral and what makes it good or bad is how useful it is to me or the meaning that i assign to it Right So so I I, the actor in the world, am giving things value by my interaction with them versus the classic Christian view, which is everything that God created is good. And then when we use it separate from God's plan, it is bad. right? When we get outside of the, mm-hmm. the, the God's design for things. Um, so the, the question is, well if this phenomenon of astral projection actually happens, and I don't have a reason to doubt that it does, if it's not as a result of the good mediating it then what's happening <laughs> right and so so yeah. when we're when we're making reference to a spiritual power but also, not inviting God into our life. Mm-hmm. That's a very spiritually dangerous place to be.
0: and th- And I've said this before on the show uh, and at events, like this is why the New age movement fundamentally is satanism. it is It is the the worship of the self as God and uh, slapping that label on yourself and taking that label away from God. Hmm. Uh, it's It's the pursuit of power and and, you know, your desires at whatever expense, essentially. Hmm. Um, so yeah, wow. Okay. That was the Catholic weird stuff segment by location. There you go. Catholic astral projection. Just kidding. It's not, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, all right. So let's, let's go back to the topic of physically spiritual. So we were talking about, um, how we see the Trinity in all of creation. One of the things that Alina and I were talking about recently was, um, we we're pondering how it's interesting that in in the Catholic theological context, we understand that this notion of when we go to heaven, what what's what's kind of also really happening there is we are uh, entering into a a complete union with God that we experience here incompletely, as as a foreshadowing. Uh, in, for example, receiving the Eucharist or, you know, entering into a covenant in our baptism and whatever, like in the conference of grace and the sacraments, those are all occasions of communion with God in different ways. But in heaven, like we don't need something that gives us a taste of something like it, our existence is communion with God mm-hmm. in heaven. It's interesting how that resembles, and it's funny that we have been talking about the New Age movement, how in the New Age movement, so much of their uh, way of seeing death is that we are all energy, and our energy when we die gets absorbed into the universal energy. And, And so it's interesting because it's like they're almost scratching at the surface of something that is partially almost a truth with the mistake that they, in being absorbed into that universal energy, they lose their individuality as well. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an example of where it's like, they're almost there, but it's not, it's not right. And I, and I see this across the board that like so many different major world religions and ways of seeing spirituality, they all are trying so hard and they come so close but just like the slightest diverging point right so like Christ says there are many rooms in my in my father's mansion or whatever and then you have is it the 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 Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses one of them think that every person gets a planet you know and so okay i can see how there's like a little bit of an overlap there but but it's like that planet is also their domain and they're you know the the king of that the god of that planet or something and so it's like everyone is like so close but missing the mark and and to me it's like it's interesting because in every one of those ways that it misses the mark, it's like you can kind of see that what what bubbles to the surface as a as a constant across each of those attempts at truth, um, what bubbles to the surface there is pride, hmm. and that it's about me, and and like I deserve to own a planet and be the lord over it.
1: Yeah. And. In- I think underneath pride is um, it's a lot of uh, fear because like we're creatures. So like um, we have survival instincts and those survival instincts. So like w- when we don't have security, we're designed to, to reach for something to make us secure. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Um,
1: so I think what's what's beneath what, on the surface or, or from a moral perspective is pride. Beneath it, though was a lot of fear and insecurity. Wow. Um, there, there's two really important distinctions we need to hold on to, because even a lot of Catholic people make uh, commit a lot of category errors in the way they speak by not holding on to these distinctions. Mm. And this is essential to understand the New Age movement too, and also to understand the physically spiritual podcast. One up. is the distinction between physical and spiritual, body and spirit, the other is the distinction between the natural and the supernatural. Yes, okay. A lot of people will say things like, well, it's sort of like, you know, we have the natural stuff and then we have the soul. It's like you have nature and then you have spirit. hmm And they're making a category here because the opposite of nature isn't spirit, the opposite of nature is supernatural. Yes. Right, so, so everything that God created in his first bestowal of existence in the order that we live in is what's natural. Including the angels, including us, body and soul, mm-hmm. including all of creation, all of that's natural. Right? There's nothing more natural than a demon. Because <laughs> it's its pure nature, that what God gave it in in giving it life and giving it an existence, apart from all of the supernatural grace that God offers in Christ's redemption of us. Right. So so the the, the, the demon is a pure nature mm-hmm. not supernatural phenomena
0: right. same with an angel same with whatever well an
1: angel though is living in God the, with the divine life right yeah right so so the angel is enjoying the super is very more supernatural than we are to sure some but
0: but its essence is natural it's just correct. participating correct, correct, in correct. the yeah right
1: yeah yeah so so then we have the, the what's supernatural is well God's various so ways that he intervenes in that natural order whether it be through, you see his great works throughout the, the scripture in the Old Testament. We see it happening now in an ordinary way in what Christ works through his passion, death, and resurrection and through the the continued relationship of grace between the angels and God. Now, the other distinction here between the physical and the spiritual, right? So so physical things are, are essentially things that we can experience with our senses, right? So we have... I can see things, I can taste things. Physical things have location, they have size, they have weight. Mm-hmm. Spiritual things, on the other hand, don't have those categories. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people will ask questions that don't make any sense, like where is your soul? <laughs> right. Well, awareness, location, is a quality of something physical. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so asking where is your soul is asking the question like, like why doesn't the coffee like grow a trunk? Right. It's just not proper to the nature of coffee to have a trunk. It's just this nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's not proper to a spiritual thing to have location. Yeah. Either. That's so like it's interesting. just a category So, so when we pull these distinctions in now and think of about something like the New Age movement, right? There's I think there's observable phenomena in nature that science doesn't yet account for. So I think some people um, because of the way they continue to hold on to some of the doctrine from the scientific scientific revolution, they take that and they believe. Well, if we can't explain it, that means there is something supernatural happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not necessarily, right? It could just be some phenomenon we don't understand yet,
2: mm-hmm. right? like women,
1: so, <laughs> <laughs> or like the way that that our the subtle interactions of of our person with the, the world around us affect the world around us, mm-hmm. right? Like, how can you? how can you make the statement that manifesting something is is actually having an effect on the world around you apart from just the effect that, that your presence has on the world around you? Yeah, your actions. Right? So, so there's there's a way that the movement, I think, falls into what's classically, classically been called a God of the gaps argument. Mm-hmm. Right. We, you can't explain that, so therefore God, like God fills the gaps. So I think the New Age movement uh, has, has a similar thing that they do where they say, well, we can't explain this, so therefore astral projection (laughs) therefore (laughs) manifesting therefore you know, insert whatever whatever thing um you you might into that so so foundationally um what the physically spiritual podcast is in a lot of ways i try to think about the world both what's offered to us by god's gift of grace and revelation and in the church's theology and in the sacraments and uh in the whole wealth of, of what the church gives us in, in the deposit of the faith. So, but then I also try to pull in everything we understand of the natural world in God's providence by the scientific revolution, mm. right? By the explorations of science, of medicine, of psychology, so on and so forth. And we try to keep all the categories clear mm-hmm. right, what's natural, what's supernatural, what's physical, what's spiritual. And we simply ask the question if this is true what does it mean for my life Mm -hmm. right if this is true what does it mean for my life
0: and it has like that that is the fundamental question because the you know people all the time get super excited to learn some things but like okay but what are you doing with that information Mm -hmm. and and this stuff that we're talking about and what your show is about like is so foundational And, and so to to receive the information that one could learn in physically spiritual. And not apply it to your life would just be absolutely absurd. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Could you do a similar an, analysis? Like that was a beautiful analysis uh, comparison between you know our our capital T truth in the Catholic our our understanding of things um, uh, in contrast to the New Age movement. Could you do something similar in the other direction uh, with kind of um, a materialist worldview in contrast to our faith?
1: Yeah, the, the materialists materialist would simply be stating that that everything can be explained by what's physically present. Mm-hmm. So essentially, making the claim that anything that we don't understand yet, it's simply because we haven't done enough science yet, or we don't have the right instruments to measure it or yeah. to observe it. Yeah. So on and so forth. Um, so there's there's a presumption that you you kind of you kind of dig down, and you don't find anything other than more stuff. And and what's difficult is to some extent they're right. Okay. Meaning it's not like you're going to like dig deep enough down into the way that matter is constructed and eventually find a soul. <laughs> you know, like eventually you're going to find something you can't measure or can't weigh or can't observe. Mm-hmm. No, you're going to continue to dig down and you'll find smaller and smaller and smaller particles or different physical phenomena that can be explained eventually by science. Right. Because we're not claiming that spirit is something physical that's taking up space, right? It's literally by definition not physical. Right. So so the the, the spiritual and the physical coexist in the same you know it's hard to talk about cuz you want to say like space. Right. But really they 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 co-inhabit the same existence uh, simultaneously without competing with one another. And actually they they're interdependent in a way where they simultaneously explain and account for one another, uh, and the one can't be without the other. Um,
0: and that's what you call death—the
1: separation of the the soul from the body. But even beyond that, really, what death is is, is the breakdown of 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 your identity into smaller identities. Whoa! Break right. that down. Right. So, so like an organic substance, it's it's an. A, it's an accumulation of, um, it's an accumulation of, of parts that has a, that has an identity that makes it a one, Mm. right? So it's really a a many that's, that's a one that has life. So like at what point, if you start lobbing pieces of me off, am I no longer me? Right. Okay. Right. If you cut off my hand, well, there's me and then there's my, what used to be my hand. Mm -hmm. And now what's, what's the, um, What's the principle of unity for that hand? Right? Is it just a, a collection of atoms that happen to be joined together? Because at some point it starts to what? It starts to break down. Mm-hmm. It starts to decay. And then you just have a pile of goo. Ew. And then you just have some bones. And eventually you just have its constituent mineral and, and element parts that. Right. Stardust. That are yeah. whatever. Right. So, so, what, so what is the, the principle of unity in, a, in an inorganic substance, right? And you just keep digging down further and further and further and further. You know, if they could cut my head off and keep me alive by some device or some machine, I'm making a reference to that hideous strength. C.S. Lewis is great uh, science fiction work. Um, you know, at, at that point, like if I'm alive, I'm I'm still me, right? And the rest of my body would be the dead substance mm-hmm. of whatever it is. Now, now in that book, spoiler alert, they find out that it's a demon inhabiting the head that they think that they've separated and kept alive. Uh, and I feel like I've gotten too far away from the question answered at this point. <laughs> uh, it's all good. But um, but yeah, this uh, for, for the materialist, uh, ultimately the, the mistake is to assume that because you can't measure it, it doesn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm
1: right um, and we, we can't fight this with the argument that what we don't understand yet is, is what where God kind of fills in the gap or our spirit fills in the gap
0: right that's silly right
1: because we, we believe that the physical and the spiritual are, are simultaneous and, and, and interdependent in a way that the each one is is sort of on its own um, in its own categories sort of, explanatory mm-hmm. but on the other hand in its metaphysical categories isn't explaining right? so this is a big question for science is like when does something die is, is death when it's brain dead is death when it, the heart stops is is death when you know it's kind of like you know it when you see it kind of like the mm-hmm. supreme court's definition of pornography um, you know it's like, like how do we assign meaning to that and, and our classic definition is well when the soul separates from the body well, how do you measure that? Mm-hmm. You can't measure that. Yeah. But you can know it. Right? You can know it. Mm-hmm. If you've ever interacted with a corpse, you know it's not a person. Daily basis. If you interact with a person, you know it's a person. So 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 this is our human capacity of reason. Mm-hmm. And so this I think is ultimately where where classic philosophy demonstrates the immaterial reality is you you demonstrate it through a process of of deduction, based on the the human faculty of reason, and this is uh, like in in Aristotle's De Anima, his, his study of the soul, ultimately where he he makes an argument for the the immortality of the soul. Uh, is based on this faculty of of, of reason. Um, and anyway, we're probably getting a little too no, too but out I mean, it's
0: super. That was excellent. So it, it, yeah, it's essentially if something is true it has to be observable observably true that's essentially kind of so anything that is not observable cannot be true mm-hmm. so that that's so interesting and, and it's so small minded as far as I can tell as well like ultimately it, it's so
1: um, well people are grasping at survival without God right you know so uh, I think it's important not to assign like um, like character judgments you know if it it's Existence is no joke.
0: No, it's tough. Like look at history, like
1: like we're kind of in the Pax Americana right now and it's a nice time to be alive. But like if you study history, like like staying alive is no joke. Like this isn't like uh you know, you take God out of the picture and you gotta figure crap out. Yeah. Or else stuff's gonna be bad for you. Um so I think we need to approach um people who have a different understanding with a lot of compassion.
0: For sure. And that's true for like literally anything we've been talking about here or, um, in our last live stream as well. Um, and I think the other thing that just came to mind for me is like, it's a worldview that I think is a grasping at retaining some control Mm. because it's like people get freaked out if they don't understand something. And if there is something that is not directly understandable by, by observation, then, it, then it's a lot easier for me to like feel like things are orderly or or you know make sense uh, and we kind of need to have that control and again it goes all the way back to the garden you know it's it's control it's it's who is the God me or God um, so I think you know in in the illustration you've given us of kind of these two I don't want to say extremes because it's not like new age is the opposite of materialism but but these two like, not on the same spectrum, but extremes of approaches to spirituality or whatever, uh, or, or the lack of it. Um, with that all laid out, I think that it can be then, you know, concluded like the the full integration of both truths, like the spiritual and the physical, like, all, like we have to see things for what they really are. And that is the only way that we're really going to be able to become the fullest version of ourselves, the most complete the most healed um and and i think that that is the real value in what you're talking about because you talk about nutrition a kajillion people are talking about nutrition online on social media podcasts whatever but what you're doing is you're saying here is how nutrition plays a role in your spiritual life in in your in in your physical well-being at such a more at such a deeper and more granular level than just like you know here is your your car like per, food pyramid and whatever like no 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 uh, and I think that whether it's nutrition or, or physical exercise or meditation or prayer or or whatever like you are approaching these topics in this broader question of the entire person mm. physical and spiritual and I think that is the real reason that your show is such a gem and the authenticity that the information you have you have because of the journey you've been on where you had to you had to discover this stuff to find your own healing and your own growth and it was executed on you know and continues to be presumably I don't know but
1: yeah I mean existence is no joke. I've been blessed to be broken enough that I've always had to strive um, the uh, it's it's really hard for virtuous people to find God sometimes because. Mm. Uh, sometimes i don't feel the need the need for it so i like to say that i've been blessed to be broken that's beautiful um, one thing that's um, i like to, to say too is that that healing isn't isn't an end in and of itself Ooh. like the destination is connection yes right the destination is connection and healing is a means to an end that is connection with god and with other people um because we're so foundationally more one than we are separate um and and so that's that's one caveat that i like to make a lot, of, uh, a lot of the journey is understanding the, where the knowledge is coming from. You mentioned earlier like big T truth. Mm-hmm. And the reason why like, scientific knowledge is different than theological knowledge is because of the, the, the difference of how it's discovered. Right? What we learn from Revelation, our doctrines, our moral teachings in our church, are, we call them big T truths because those are, are revealed to us by God. Right, so, so it's not something that's limited for our perce- by our perception or our capacity to measure or to discover something. So, so this is why doctrines and dogmas don't change or don't evolve. And there's been theologians that have had uh, had issues because they've they've over applied categories that have been discovered through science to theological knowledge mm. in a way that then distorts the nature of revelation. Um, so our, our theological knowledge doesn't evolve. What it does is, is our ability to apply it needs to be continually renewed because the world around us is changing. And then our understanding of it will grow ever deeper. Mm-hmm. But it grows in the way that an organic substance grows. right? So I was me when I was in my mother's womb and I was me when I was a baby and I was me when I was a child and I'm now me when I'm an adult. And I'll still be me when I'm old and decrepit and, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. right? So I'm growing and, and changing but my identity is always the same, right? I'm still me. Mm-hmm. In the same way, a, a theological doctrine or teaching might, might grow and develop. It might need to be applied different based on the circumstances it's in, but it, it's always still the same, mm-hmm. right? So this is where um, you, you might track out a teaching like the Immaculate Conception of Mary, right? And you can find signs of that all the way back from the early church of people who might've even personally known Mary, in, in our writing about Mary in, in the early church and then you see how it's developed over time and then it's clearly defined by the church at a certain point in history and that's that is a development in a, of our doctrine but it's this kind of organic growth mm-hmm. of what's happened on the other hand scientific knowledge is always it's always iterative and it's always um, it's always uh what's the right word it's always growing and developing and, and changing in a different sort of way. Um, it's always provisional, I think is the right term. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's always provisional. So this is where it's confusing in like people in in our contemporary society will say things like follow the science or or will science like like that's anti-scientific
0: or I am the science.
1: <laughs> yeah, so all these things are like they're they're really big category errors. Like those are those are the the sorts of of labels that we would ascribe to theological knowledge mm-hmm. to god's revelation like the, the second you feel like you've discovered and exhausted something through scientific inquiry is the moment that you can be sure that you're wrong because because our, our capacity to observe and measure and understand is going to continue to grow mm-hmm. on and on right so, so the classic example of this is like the Newtonian physics being in a way superseded by Einstein's theories, now, a lot about Newton's theories still continue to explain reality. like a lot of the equations still work. but but there's a, a whole new thing that 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 Einstein presents to the world, an understanding of reality that explains it in a deeper and more convincing way. Hmm. And we can be convinced that there will be a theory at some point in the future that that supersedes Einstein's theories. I'm sure. And and hopefully sooner than later, because <laughs> a lot of our system depends on on a growth of the, the foundational understanding of the world. Um, so so this this kind of understanding of science, we need to hold our science with humility. Right, we we hold our theological statements with with our, an assurance of faith of God's revelation of of. In that, but that assurance is based upon God. It's not based upon us, the mm-hmm. strength of our mind, our ability to understand. No, it's it's based on our understanding of God and His revelation. Where we always need to hold our scientific knowledge with humility. And this is the problem with publishing anything based on science: is because by the time the book gets out, it'll probably be wrong. Right. Um, like there's there's a big issue in science of the ability to replicate theories and replicate experiments. Um, where people will be like, "Well, we, we're this is evidence-based, and everything I say is based on an experiment that somebody has published somewhere, where they've, you know, double blinded the research, and it's a it's a, a controlled trial, and all these other categories." But then another scientist will try to replicate it, and they can't, mm-hmm. or they get a different result, or somebody does another experiment later, and and it's different. So, so there's this reality that that the best scientist is the humble scientist. Mm-hmm. That, that holds his findings loosely and is hopeful that he can discover more. So now as we then try to, um, to have uh, both scientific knowledge help us to understand our faith more deeply and allow our understanding of the faith to guide our scientific pursuits, right? It, it becomes kind of tricky, but you have to, you have to, to hold the, the nature of the knowledge Um, close in order to not confuse and muddle things. And this is where um, a lot of people who attempt an integration of faith and reason uh, get into trouble and things get muddled, right? Because they they don't really hold on to the the nature of the inquiry that's been used to discover the truth that you're talking about. That's so interesting. Um, And so that's really what what at core what I'm trying to do in a really like nerdy way to explain it I get that (laughs) if anyone's still listening Uh, (laughs) as I'm trying to like keep track of the categories that I'm talking about and the kind of inquiry and then asking the question like how do these ideas inspire one another like once I talked about um, it's a it's a a theory from evolution called antagonistic pleiotropy
0: those are words I use every day yeah yeah
1: (laughs) But I talked about how that is reflected in some elements of the spiritual life. So antagonistic pleiotropy is basically the idea that, that because of um, environmental pressures in our genetics, things that are adaptive early in the life cycle of an organism become maladaptive later in the life cycle of an organism. Interesting. A Concrete example of this is simply when you're, when you're growing up, you need a lot of extra calories, right? So like underfeeding your children is a big problem. Okay, and you can just dump them with food, and they grow and grow and grow, but there's a certain point as an organism, you stop growing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, actually, a lot of longevity research it indicates that actually, the more you underfeed somebody as they get older, the longer they'll live. Interesting. So there's there's a shift that happens, and this is because of of the genetics, right? where this shift occurs in the organism. Now, it's not a universal rule because like underfeeding protein is a, a really bad thing for older people because they're losing muscle and bone and their ability to process protein is, has declined a lot as they've gotten older, right? So there, there has to be some wisdom that applied around this. Um, now, we, we take that idea and we look at a phenomenon like the spiritual life, right? Um, and there's a, a shift that happens in the ages of the spiritual life in the way that God interacts with with our soul, and one of those shifts is the shift between meditation and contemplation. What meditation is, in essence, is you're, you're understanding God by analogy, by understanding what God has revealed to us. So you're taking something from nature or from revelation, like a scripture, and you're thinking about it. You're actively imagining it, considering it, pondering it, and then you're entering into a deeper relationship with God through this kind of inquiry with your mind. But there's a limit to that because every image we can conceive of for God, every way we can conceptualize and every thought we have... It's, it'll all fall short. Fall short. Yeah. So there's a shift that happens between the purgative and illuminative way where prayer shifts from meditative prayer, which is discursive, to contemplative prayer, which is infused... And when, like, John of the Cross talks about this, he talks about it being a dark night. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it dark? It, it's it's a relational moment with God. God is still present, but there's no categories, right? There's no image. Hmm. So you're, so God is there. Whole In a sense, your will is held by God. Yeah. But your intellect is empty because nothing your intellect could possibly hold on to could approximate the divine essence yeah
0: yeah like the, the more you tear away your preconceptions the more open you become to what is right yeah that's powerful stuff right. that's really good
1: so so this is where like and, and I think there's a similarity here with the, the the growth of the spiritual organism with the growth of the physical organism. This kind of this kind of shift of of what somebody needs to grow in the illuminative way is different than what somebody needs to grow and be healthy in the purgative way. Mm-hmm. The same way when when um you know when you're a child, what a healthy child needs in their diet is different than what a healthy adult needs in their diet. Uh, and and so this this category we have from science can help us to more deeply understand what we understand from our from revelation. Yeah. But there's people that that muddle the categories. Um, a famous example is probably Teilhard de Chardin, who, who brought in concepts of the theory of evolution into the, the ideas of the development of doctrine.
0: We just lost all of the Protestants that were watching. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so anyways, it's basically making the claim that, that, that our doctrines and theological understandings change in a way similar to the way evolution occurs. Right, so 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 in evolution, the identity of the thing changes as a result of, of environmental, environmental exposure. So mm-hmm. so eventually, the monkey becomes a human, or the the cat becomes a lion, or or whatever shift happens. So so this is this is uh, this is an inappropriate way <laughs> to bring scientific categories into theological understandings, because we'd be making the claim that as times change, doctrine actually changes. Mm-hmm not just in its accidents, but in its identity, in its yeah. substance.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that learning from you both in person and through your show has has really like set me on fire for, for a deeper understanding about the things that we're talking about here. And um, I've been very inspired by you for my own physical health and for my spiritual health, and I just... I wanna invite everyone who is watching or listening to this, uh, whether now in the live stream or later on a recording, um, maybe you've never thought about some of the things that we're talking about here. uh, And that's probably true for a lot of us. But I think that there is so much potential for spiritual and physical growth and uh, maturing um, and see where God wants to take you in that arena. So I wanna invite you to please check out Andrew's show, Physically Spiritual. Uh, and he always makes these these very high-level ideas very practical. Um, and, you know, if I can understand it, anyone can. <laughs> um, so check out physicallyspiritual.com uh, to learn more about his show. And if you want to become a patron of his show, you can join their private patron community in the upcoming Awaken app. Um, And get some exclusive benefits there so again physicallyspiritual.com uh once again um actually before i say this i want to make an announcement here and i'll do something more formal later uh, on social media and stuff but i'm doing a drawing for a free uh, registration to the holy land pilgrimage that i'm doing later this year with father eric Schild. so if you are interested in going to the holy land free of charge then register for the Awakened Catholic mailing list on our website. And uh, literally that's all it takes is you join the mailing list and you are officially entered into the drawing for this free Holy Land trip uh, that is happening later this year. And uh, the spots are limited. We wanted to keep this a very manageable and an intimate uh, pilgrimage. And so if you are interested in going, make sure to register as soon as possible, uh, but also make sure to join the mailing list in case you are able to get a free trip. Now, finally, uh, I want to thank today's sponsor for this episode, CatholicMerch.store, giving 100% of your proceeds to support the mission of Awaken Catholic. Um, Disregard the fact that Awaken Catholic owns CatholicMerch.store. And you can get great, original, awesome, Catholic swag, like the Uber Catholic hoodie that I'm wearing right now. And it supports the mission. So catholicmerch.store, uh, if you want to make a donation to Awaken Catholic, whether it's one time or recurring, then visit awakencatholic.org slash donate. And you can join us in mission and, and be a part of what makes all of this possible. Uh, Andrew, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you in my life as a, as a mentor, as a brother and, uh, for being on this show, man.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. All right, everyone, before you go, I just need you to know that Jesus loves you. Peace.